0: You ready?
1: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy.
0: do doing later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Welcome to Celtics Stuff Off on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Pullen. Joining me as always, John Duke. And we are finally... And it is a big with the Milwaukee Bucks. And boy, did the Celtics look just unbeatable in game one. I mean, there's almost... Well, leaving that game, there's this level of confidence like, hey, they swept the first round, but if they keep playing like this... They can sweep the second round. And then of course in game two, uh, Milwaukee does a fantastic job of adjusting, switching, uh, better than they ever did during the regular season. I guess we'll see if that will hold up. If Boston holds home court, then, uh, they've already gained the advantage. We all, we said on the last show that for them to be successful in this series, they needed to take game one. It's part of your prediction so far, everything on track uh for you but uh also on track for my prediction as well. Um you predicted that they'd lose one of these games at home actually. And uh so I guess we'll see about that. Although no, I guess my prediction is off. I don't think I predicted them to win one uh on the road till game 7. That's actually correct. I wanted to win one, but I think I did predict. So all right, my prediction's washed. Yours is still pl- still in play. I hope you're wrong. And here we go because a tale of two games and a third quarter that really just pounded the Celtics right out of it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of the the tale out of Game Two as well. They got beat and it was a drubbing and. You know, but look, if, if the tails were reversed and game one was this way and game two finished this way, I think the Celtics fans would be feeling great. So it's, I think, I think we take all, both games with probably a a dose of, uh, humility and take a step back from it and say, look, the Celtics got exactly what they needed out of the first two games. They got the split. They got, they got beaten down in one, but they beat down in another, you know, and, uh, I think that there are certainly Easy adjustments that can be made in Game 3, and I think it's going to be an absolute madhouse in Boston uh, Friday night with uh, an 8 o'clock start and everyone coming out of um, the uh, local imbibing establishments, and I think it will be completely bananas there uh, Game 3 and Game 4. So I, I think this is well set up for the Celtics. Again, I said the Celtics in six. I stand by it. Uh, I stood by it when they were up 1-0. So the, there's, you know, Giannis has been good, uh, but I don't think he's been the differential. I think that this has been a, a series really about a team, and I thought that the team defense that the Bucs played was not good. Uh, in Game One, the Celtics team defense was outstanding. In Game One, flip the script in Game Two, and flip those roles. And here we are, one-one. To me, it's it's, it's that simple. Everyone say it's about making shots. I think it's about preventing shots and and imposing your will defensively. Both teams can do it. Both teams did it for one game each. Neither team was able to do it for both games. And I think that tells the tale right now.
0: Yeah, Kyrie really struggled in Game Two as well, mm-hmm. and and Horford all what five turnovers. So in the first game, Horford was unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Definitely the defense. And everybody's saying is he the Kryptonite to to Giannis, and it is a good statement. I know everybody wanted to come out with the articles after Game One and say whatever plagued this team during the regular season is gone. And I think from a chemistry standpoint, that holds true. I think in the postseason, it's probably been easier for them to all just focus on the bigger mission and put all of that behind them. I mean, even Terry uh, seems to have gotten a little bit of a spark anyway. I mean, he had nowhere to go, but up after the regular season, but uh, it certainly seems to be back on the rise and into playoff Terry mode. But, um, but in general, the two games is actually quite similar to the regular season without all the emotional drama, I guess.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think both, I don't think we heard anything in the post game, you know, too high, too low. I I thought they acquitted themselves well on that. And, you know, I, I it, at some point when you're in the playoffs, if it bec- still becomes about that, then you've got some serious issues. The Sultans have had serious issues throughout the season, but, in reality, if they can put that away and they can sweep the Indiana Pacers and they can go into Milwaukee and put a whooping on the, on the, on the Milwaukee Bucks, I, I think that stuff is a bit overblown, honestly. And I think you have to look back and say, okay, now it's about what you do on the court. It's not about, you know, whatever so-and-so said and who's getting along with who and whatever. I mean, it becomes about what you're doing on the court. What are the adjustments? Who can make shots? Who can do their job best? You know, and I think Al Horford, you know, the five turnovers, one of them was a complete, was an out, an out and out foul. Um, you know, I think that there was, <laughs>
0: that was completely absurd. Um, uh, well, but, I did say the officials would play a role in this series. Oh, well, they did. And they definitely, <laughs> and they definitely did. And, yeah. you know, like I said, that's why I thought it would go seven is because I think the league wants it to go seven. The Celtics, at least in game one, proved that they can do it on the road and do it on the road in style. So I'm definitely not nervous about a game seven. I, uh, you mentioned just the fact that coming into Boston, it's going to be a big momentum swing. And so you know, if they win game six and they're riding high into game seven, if this does go seven and they already know in their hearts that they can do it again, I actually don't feel too intimidated about having to win the series on the road in you know, a one game take winner takes it all yeah. kind of scenario at all. And I also think that the way that, um, the postseason is set up, and we talked about this heading in as well, that during the regular season, you just don't have the same amount of time to game plan, and so when you're talking about establishing roles and rotations, well, the when Brad sits this team down, especially from one game to the next, it's also easier to keep all of these players in their role because they have very specific matchups and a very specific strategy and you just don't have that luxury throughout the regular season to be quite as detailed. So we talked about Brad and his strategizing being a big advantage in any postseason because of the structure. But I also think that it helps with that chemistry because things are just much more defined. And so it's easier for people to settle into that.
1: Well, and, and in the playoff, you know, in the post game, uh, post car, post game press conference, you know, Kyrie was like, I know exactly what I'm ready to do. <laughs> you know, I think Kyrie was ready to play game three, like, then and there. <laughs> you know, I, I think the adjustments are readily apparent. Now, you may well, say. Some well, some of it's
0: performance, right? Some of it is, yeah. in, you know, and Kyrie, I think, rightfully said, you know, it's just struggling to make the right, right reads. But I also think that defensively, Milwaukee did some things that they hadn't seen them do. And so could they have adjusted quicker? Probably. But I think they felt like maybe in the first half that they were handling that okay, and then Milwaukee really busted it out because a lot of that offense in the third quarter of game two was generated off of that good defense. And so they might have seen it coming, but they might have thought that, oh, it'll wane, right? Because sometimes you can get that level of overconfidence. Like, all right, yeah, they did a great job. I can even at halftime saying, hey, these guys are doing this. I know you all see it. They're doing it really well. But the attitude, and maybe Brad wouldn't say this, but I think the attitude, what they didn't do that during the regular season, we don't see them doing that with any kind of consistency. And they're thinking in the third quarter, this is going to wane. They're not going to be able to keep this up. And instead, they really doubled down with that effort and got better at it in the third quarter. And I think that's when really the, uh, not the momentum, but dominance of the game. That's when the shift really took over. And so I think sometimes teams make that mistake and they're almost, I'm not going to say that they're okay with losing game two, but there's also this letdown factor whenever you're the team that doesn't have home court advantage. If you come out and in the words of our favorite KG, if you punch the bully in the mouth in game one, you know, we see these letdown games from, from teams all the time. And so on some level it's it's also predictable, especially when you're playing a high caliber team that, you know, led the entire NBA and wins this season. So uh, not not a surprise, not a great concern, and I'm glad that the team is handling it with a level head, but I really do hope that they take it to heart, they take it personal, and they come out and really, really play aggressive in games three and four at home in front of the home crowd.
1: Yeah, I, no, I think that's right. And and to your earlier point, in terms of, I, I think that they did think it was going to wane. They did think, it, you know, it was going to, you know, tamper down. Um, you know, you come out, you get blown out in the last game. You're expecting a big push from the Bucks in minute one, two, three. You know, you're, you're ready for that to, to come at you and they pushed back. They did a pretty good job, even though the shots weren't really falling in the first half. I think they did a pretty good job of, of weathering the storm. It was things started going wrong in that second half and, and they just, it, they just weren't, they just, you know, nothing was working, but I, I want to also go back to something else you said earlier about the, the, the officials and uh, I'm going to kind of go down your side of the street on this one.
0: Look, I understand. The street, I didn't like how you started that, but okay. Go well, down my side of the street. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> well, you're- I like how you distanced yourself and got on the bandwagon all at the same time. I, that was yeah, pretty All at once.
1: There. All at once. No, but like, look, it's, the reason why the Selks were so successful against Giannis is that they would, they'd bring the second person on the spin and then it was, then he had, he was, he was discombobulated. Like it was, it was completely, he was out of sorts. Okay. A lot of turnovers, a lot of missed shots, on and on and on. This game, in, in game two, they were calling contact really quickly. I mean, there was a, the, the touch fouls, the amount that, that the Selks were able to, You could say get away with, but the amount of contact that they could get away with in game one versus game two was night and day. And, you you know, whatever we want to say about, you know, whether the fix was in or whatnot, it's very difficult to maintain that consistency. Now, if you're the Celtics, you've got to adjust to that, no doubt. And that's what it is. But, you know, there was a period there when we are getting to the end of the first half. Giannis had played 10 minutes and he had 10 free throws, you know, and (laughs) – you can say the Celtics were were close and and they were ahead actually for much of that time but like that's that sets a standard for the remainder of the game and so when you get in a situation you know, in the second half, he was able, because it couldn't be as physical, he was able to get rid of the ball. He could find, you know, Chris Middleton, and Middleton was hitting shots. And, and it, it just kind of snowballs. And once you start hitting shots, I mean, as you saw in game one, everybody looks great. And I think, you know, it, it starts with the way a game can be called, may not impact the game in that instance, but the carryover from that really does matter. And I thought the way that Giannis was being officiated in that first half in particular was really setting a tone that really put the Celtics on a bad path. And it it didn't allow them to do what was successful for them in game one to continue that. Now it'll be interesting to see in game three, game four, what are we going to get? Are we going to get the Tony Brothers effort or are we going to get what we got in game one? Because if we get the Tony Brothers stuff for the next five games, it's going to be trouble for the Celtics.
0: Yeah, it definitely will, and that's been the X factor since the beginning is if that doesn't go quite their way or they let Giannis get away with whatever he, you know, <laughs> traveling or just bullying, whatever. It's not quite LeBron James level, but if they give him that that superstar treatment or even hedge significantly towards that, it is going to make things very difficult, and, and Al Horford is going to struggle, and, you know, and sometimes – Sometimes it's a game of attrition, though. Mm-hmm. That's why I've always said, use your fouls, use your fouls, use your fouls. And I'm not expecting uh, Al Horford to use the fouls because we're going to need him out there. But that's where Aaron Baines also did a fantastic defensive job in game one and really bullied and put a lot of physical contact. I'm not saying he didn't do it in game two, but it wasn't the same. And they they are definitely going to need that because they need to wear him down. I mean, he's a player. He's going to survive. He's going to come back stronger. But you you kind of prevent a little bit of that third quarter run type stuff it when you're being physical because then you can't to be able to do it. So if the officials are going to call it that way, By all means, you know, ante up with more physical play. I've always said you've Mm got to be the aggressor. Mm -hmm. So when the officials do that, force the officials to look bad. Mm -hmm. You know, force it. Force the issue. You know, and there needs to be a player like Baines who, in the game like that, it's okay if he fouls out. But the rest of the game has to know that they've got to hit those shots. They cannot have those shots fall. They can't get into the offense. Because then, then then, that whole thing is wasted because you're just playing even. That wears off because you do run out of fouls. So there's some things there too. But follow Cell Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. And the entire CLNS media network is at CLNS media. Facebook.com slash CLNS fans and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace, and the playoffs are humming along, so the YouTube channel is full of content. YouTube.com slash CLNS Media, high definition, full-length locker room interviews, the Garden Report, the Roundtable, the Celtic stuff live. And, John, I heard you kind of snickering as I was finishing up my point there and going into the ad read, so I know you have something to say. You want to leap off of that.
1: Well, no. Partly, you were starting to sound like a robot because it was the the, (laughs) because because the 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 uh, the YouTube was going a little a little funny on us as we're recording. But um, no, I I actually agree with everything you were saying there. I the one thing I would I would want to see is I want to see Kyrie Irving get some of these calls. He's a superstar. He's not Giannis. I you know he's not going to be the MVP of the league. That's okay. But I want to see Kyrie Irving get a little bit of respect. I mean, how many times? How many free throws? Uh, how many times can that guy go to the rack and 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 not get a call? It just it kind of is crazy to me. And, you know, and I'm not saying he's going – he's, you know, driving, driving, driving with the consistency of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm not saying that at all. But for him to walk out of a game like that and not get a single free throw is absurd. I'm sorry. I mean, there's just no way that you don't – you know, the number of times he did go to the basket. It wasn't – again, like I said – five times, six times, I don't know, but not one free throw? That's crazy. That that doesn't make any sense. And I understand that Milwaukee's defense is trying to prevent drives to the basket. They're trying to set up a wall, trying to do all that. I get all that. But there are numerous opportunities where he did go to the basket and did get hit, and he got nothing. Squadoosh. And if he's not going to get those respect – if he's not getting that respect...
0: Oh, my God. That's like the that's title a... of a Friends episode. The one where John used the word squadoosh. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, that is absolutely no respect uh, at all for a player who does draw a lot of doubles, draws a lot of contact, you know, even if it's limited free throws because he's not being as aggressive as he normally would be or is in other games. Not one free throw. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can we call that the squadoosh factor? It's
1: the squadoosh factor. That's how much
0: respect he's getting. He's getting by the way, that's respect. That's the. T- I don't know how you spell squadoosh, but that's we'll that's the t- that's the title of the episode. <laughs> the squadoosh. Can we spell it like? I think it's squad.
1: It? I think Please. it's squad, and then o o s h. I, I I think uh-huh. it's I think it's squadoosh. I think it's kind of like that.
0: But if we're referring to the referees.
1: They were definitely squadooshes. Um, that <laughs> you may even call them squadoosh bags if you I'm want to. I'm not even to. sure this
0: is politically
1: correct. We're <laughs> off the mail. I'm not sure what this is either. No, no, I don't <laughs> but, think so.
0: But either way, we had some fun with it and it's the title of the episode. We're just going to figure it. out how to spell it by the time we get done recording. We'll get there. We'll get there. No, but so at home yeah. though, we can, can we count on that? Because you're alluding to the fact and in, in bringing this up that you're not confident the, the squadoosh factor isn't going to come into play even on home court. And it's, you know, traditionally in the NBA, and I'm not telling anybody anything they haven't heard before, but traditionally in the NBA, the home team gets the calls, right? They want the hometown crowd to have a good time at the game. It's an entertainment, you know, piece. And, uh, and so what you're kind of saying is you think it's going to go the other way. And if you're right, it'll be, If your predictions are right, you're anticipating that happening in Game Four, so that Milwaukee returns home with the home court advantage again.
1: Well, I, I, I'm less. I, I was more interested in the six than the than the who wins which game thing. But I hear you. I mean that. Yeah, it's. I think it's difficult to win two games in a row against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think it's doubly difficult because of the fact that it felt like a large part of the first half was game, playing five on eight. You know, that I just felt like that. I felt like some can't do anything right. And, and admittedly, those three referees did a bad enough job that they, there were numerous calls that went against the Milwaukee bucks that shouldn't have. But I felt like that they tilted the, some of the game uh in Milwaukee's favor. So the question is, who's the, who, you know, when's Scott Foster coming to town? When's Scott Foster coming to town and gonna be able to, uh, you know, turn things Milwaukee's way? You know, it's not often you have Mark Davis and Tony Brothers in one game. That was, that seemed a lot to overcome for the Boston Celtics in game two. So,
0: <laughs>
1: so, you know, we had to get through Ed Malloy in game one. Now we got those two. Jokers. I mean, what are we gonna end up with? We probably Mike Callahan in game three. I mean, I don't know what we're gonna end up with, but it's Giannis is it's his own his ability is one thing, but the amount of respect he gets puts him on another level, you know,
0: and that's that's what makes it. Well, we really always difficult. see that. We that's, always see that, and we know yeah. the league wants him to be a star, and so that's put, something everybody every team is gonna to have to learn to live with that. But but they gotta put um,
1: Kyrie at least not on like 80% of that. I'm okay with yeah. 80%. I, yep. I, I understand the star system in the NBA, but wow. zero free
0: throws is, is right, hold on. crazy. You're, you got to table that. Um, uh, that's, that's what we'll talk about when we come out of the break. And then obviously we got to talk about Hondo as well and then preview, uh, a little bit more in depth games three and four on Friday and Monday, but the postseason is underway in the NBA and the Celtics are squaring off against the Milwaukee Bucks. The series is tied one to one in the second round. Is your confidence high for the Celtics to take this series? Are you willing to place a wager? Don't know where to start. There's only one place to get in on all of this action. Grab the odds and allow the experts at betonline.ag to do the heavy lifting for you. Sports, live betting, virtual casino, you name it. BetOnline.ag is CLNS Media's preferred sportsbook online. If you're feeling lucky and you'd like to support our podcast, go to clnsmedia.com slash CSL and use promo code CLNS50 for that 50% sign-up bonus. Did you hear that? 50% sign-up bonus. Just go to betonline.ag and use code CLNS50 or take a shortcut, clnsmedia.com slash CSL. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so so how does Kyrie force that issue? I mean, sometimes when he's forcing the issue like that, everybody else gets lost on offense. So the way that they do that has to be strategic too. They can't just say, Kyrie, go out there and keep hammering until you get the respect of the refs, right? (laughs) And still take still take an open shot over a contested shot every day of the week, right? So, and the more he does that, the easier it is going to be for Milwaukee to just keep focusing those doubles on him mm-hmm. because they're not going to make him pay. So there has to be a smooth way of doing it. And, you know, the other, I think criticism of the Celtics and I love Keith Smith's write ups on Celtics blog mm-hmm. after the games. He just does such an amazing jobs with the video and et cetera. But, you know, one of the thing that he said, one of the things that he said was they just weren't punishing Milwaukee when they had a mismatch they weren't finding the mismatch and I know that's probably part of what Kyrie means about making the right read but it's not entirely he's really more talking about the switches and the defense and yes that does result in the mismatch when they make the switch but the read is is setting up attacking the switch so how do you get Kyrie in a mismatch where he draws contact so it's favorable for an and one because I I really feel like that's the best way to do it but they're always throwing in a double. So how do you free them up other than ball movement?
1: Yeah, it's uh, well. I I think one thing that we saw that work really well in Game One was it, it ball movement. It really, if you're going to send a double, you know, if you're going to send a double the way of Kyrie Irving, which is what they were doing a lot, then or at least uh, very near a double team, the, the only way to beat that is pass around it. I mean. It, it, that was one of your biggest frustration points when we talked about in the last show was, you know, his desire to kind of shoot over it and shoot through situations and kind of take the tough shot. You know, I think that there are ways high pick and roll that they can use to free him up, but you know, he was never comfortable in game two. It felt like it felt like he'd never really got his gotten a groove. And, uh, you know, I think that was purposeful on my part, no doubt, but I think that they need. They need to force the other guys to beat them. I mean, Hayward really didn't do that. I think Tatum has been not great offensively. You read my mind.
0: That's where I was going to go. That's what they need. They need those guys. Right. Well, but Tatum specifically has been struggling offensively. And I think that's the punisher. I mean, for everything that he was in round one, it's not showing up in round two. And I think if you talk, especially because he was so aggressive at going to the rim. And so if they can, you know, get, draw the double swing the ball. And that sets Tatum's athleticism up or even Brown's, but I still feel like Brown's a willing, willing to attack the basket and be aggressive and willing to do it in the right spots. I think he's playing very smart right now, but, uh, that doesn't always lead to opportunities for Jalen, but for Tatum, it's almost like if he takes those opportunities, he finds a way of turning it into something, even if it's a rough start, you know, he kind of will start to get cooking. And, and I know that's a lot of what I just cri- not really criticized, but it's, It's one of my concerns with Kyrie if he is going to shoot through. But I almost feel like Tatum's got to do that. We've got to give him a little bit of time. And again, strategically coming out, swinging the ball out of the double to start attacking. Because if he has that aggressive style of play and he is going to the hole the way he did in round one, I think that that could open things up for Kyrie and he could even pass back out of it and find Kyrie in a one-on-one situation if he can draw the attention that's necessary, and then maybe Kyrie is getting the benefit of the doubt because they're not saying Kyrie – because here's the thing with the foul calls. When you attack a double team, they're kind of – the refs are thinking that's not smart basketball, and so they don't always give you the call even if there is contact on the double, right, because the way they look at it is if you're trying to force your way through a double team, you're not playing smart basketball, and you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt.
1: No, that's, and that's, I think that's absolutely true. It's, they, there is, there is that kind of, um kind of the ball to lie deal, right? <laughs> I think it's kind of what you're talking about, right? Isn't it? I mean, to say, you know, there's this kind of, um I don't know. There's a cult. There's a, there's a, there's a right play and and, the, and it always seems to reward you. Ball movement always seems to reward the team that's making the passes. You know, the ball seems to go in when you, and the, the refs, that's the are that – sort of
0: And they're basketball aficionados. They know Absolutely. what good basketball looks like. And so sometimes they reward good basketball, even if it's not an accurate call. And I so totally agree. when I totally you agree. look, it's a dance. If you look like you're, you know, going to get a 10.0, you know, or maybe. I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's, uh, high diving or, you know, maybe it's gymnastics. I, you know, I don't know, but it, but there is sort of almost like this, you know, Olympic style scoring that infuses itself into playoff basketball because if you're, if the motions look right, you're going to get rewarded, yep. you know, by the scoring system and the judges are the officials.
1: Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think that that's, that's truly the case here. They, they take that out of those situations and if you feel if they feel like you should earn it you usually get it. I mean, it happens at every level of basketball, uh, you know, teams I coach, the teams, i-coach, and youth levels all the way up through, you know, it seems like when the teams that make the right calls get the right get the right calls um, you know, from the officials. I, I think the Celtics have uh, a a big light has been shown on, you know, Jason Tatum of late. And I don't I think, in part, that's somewhat unfair. I thought his defense was really good in Game One. I thought his rebounding was pretty good in Game One. He's had good offensive games in the Pacers' series. I mean, I, I think it's a bit unfair to say, "Well, he's the reason and he's awful." And he, I think it's a little overblown. But he's no, got no, be no, not saying – No, no, I know you're not. The,
0: yeah, but I, I know you're but not. Then, but but even, others are. I know, but even then, if that's not the case, it's not he's the problem and and he's awful. It, but it yeah. is he's the solution in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I you know think what I mean. He, like, well, I think Hayward could do a little bit more, and I think all you know, yeah, we could put a little bit on everybody. But if but if Tatum did more, it totally changes the complexion of the game. He yeah. could be an absolute key.
1: And I think you know, I thought in Game One he played the wrong way, in Game Two he played even more the wrong way. But we've seen him, particularly in that Pacers series, play free take the right shots, you know, take the threes when they're open, sidestep rather than step in. When you do step in, go all the way to the rack. Like, look, Milwaukee is doing what it can to take away drives to the basket. So for a team that doesn't already like to drive to the basket, Milwaukee is really doing their job, and they're saying, no, we really don't want you. Wow. Wow. Uh, but but I don't know what the hell that was, but <laughs> I
0: figured out how you spell Squadoosh. Oh okay, there you go. Good, good. I couldn't see You're it right. so you know. It's an Is actual it? word. S Q U A D O O S H. Unaccountable. That was just a guess. Zilch. So zilch. I, I didn't even realize that you were grammatically correct with Squidouche, wow. but I, I felt like as we were talking about Tatum's contribution that, you know, the Squidouche theme fit right in there. I thought you might want to know that you had the spelling correct.
1: I thought so, that was, wow. Okay. Was I, I totally basically,
0: right. I'm taking you off the rails because, you know, the top the, the clock is ticking. <laughs> Take me off the rails because I, I want to make sure we have time to talk about Hondo. Yes and, and uh you know we, we have to talk about Hondo and then we're going to preview games 3 and 4 Friday Monday um we'll probably come back after game 4 for our next episode and then probably after game 6 as we lead into game 7 and then do a wrap after There won't game be a seven. game
1: 7. There won't be a game 7. Okay.
0: Well, well, all right, all right. <laughs> I I still think it's game 7 but 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 I want to I want to make sure that we take a little bit of time you know, to give a man, uh, and, and he wore my favorite number, right? If there's a player that was, you know, after my heart, it's number 17. And, um uh, interestingly, um, so many good older clips, you know, from Sean Grandy to everybody else. And, and, uh, and actually I also want to squeeze in the article on Mike Gorman if we have time, but, mm. I, but, but Hondo, it's just amazing. What he accomplished over his career. And I did watch his last game, uh, the clip that was on Twitter. Boy, that was just amazing. Like it took them, I, I want to say almost like 20 minutes to even be able to start the game. Might have been longer because they were, the coverage was actually cutting out little blip, blips of time during that stretch, but mm-hmm. it just shows you how much he was loved when he was playing too. Like sometimes it's that thing when, when a player is gone, and, uh, you know, you forget about them, but then when they pass away, everybody's like, oh, this guy was amazing, et cetera. But, but fan bases don't always realize greatness. Right. And, you know, you hear so much about the Celtics fan base today, and we know that the Celtics were, you know, in Hondo's era, one of the best teams in professional sports ever, and right. he was a big part of that. But to know that the fan base was just as packed into the Boston Garden as it is today in a playoff game for Hondo's last game, and to treat him the way that you know this sort of Danny Ainge and Pagliuca and Grouseback crew has tried to treat players, you know, that have left the team to know that 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 is really that's that's before Ainge's time. You know, this is a true culture that respect and appreciation for great basketball, and uh, I also really enjoyed Tommy Heinsohn's. Uh, comments about Hondo and you know how they were roomies the first year and you know Tommy's kind of he, he's this he I love the way he kind of just tempered that and said yeah oh, he's a good old midwestern boy you know and he's he's saying that <laughs> he's saying nothing like me you know I love right, how he foils right. that <laughs> but you know he's a gregarious guy you know he played alongside him then he coached him and you know everybody just loved this man and, and I think you know, I didn't know him personally and, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't know much, but I know based on, no, I mean, like, you know, from know. Like all the, but all the people who had an actual relationship with him. It's very clear that he's one of the higher character, higher class guys. And, and the fact that he didn't even play the sport until he pretty much got drafted is like bananas to me. And. You know, you can say, well, that's because it was in the old days and they didn't make a lot of money and yada, yada, yada. And it would be amazing to have a story like that today. And we won't, uh, most likely, but I don't think you can use any of that argument to take off the fact that, you know, you basically learned basketball in the pros and had an impact right away.
1: Well, yeah. And I, I want to echo what you said. I'm going to go first to the, the person because I think that, I think that's really important. You know, what you said, because uh, what struck me is that everyone calls him John. Okay. No one calls him Hondo. No one calls him Havlicek. When you hear about what Jerry West says about him, when you hear what Tommy talks about him, it's John. And to me, that just says that's about a relationship with a, with a guy, a man, a person. It's not the player. It's not. The star, not the athlete. It's John, the person. And I think, you know, you, everyone uses, they call him John, right? Everyone calls him John. And to me, that's just a very kind of interesting thing. It's, because, it's
0: almost like if he were Dr. Havlicek, he would be like, you can just call me John. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the
1: person. Like he wanted a relationship with the people. Shouts out to, to Adam Coffin, and Celtics Beat, did a great job. They brought Max on, they brought, um, um, you know, Cedric Maxwell was on there, they had, they had, uh, you know, Mike Gorman was on there this week, and, and Bob Ryan, and they talked about Havlicek, and talked about who he was, and all just said, first class person, first class person, you know, and, you know, of course, Mike watched him as a fan growing up, and and all that. But but then getting to know him in the later years, you know, golf tournaments and things like that. And it was always it always felt like there's a connection there. It's not like today where there's a there's a gap there between the media and the and, and the athletes, or even the fans sometimes and the athletes. This was a guy who is a genuine guy who you if you talk to. And he met you the first time he was training he was creating a connection with you. It wasn't oh hey, how's it going you know next you know it he's still from a different era, born nineteen forty you know he's pre born before world war two you know and and I think that there's a there's a definitely a um there's something to that something about that and and where he grew up in ohio midwestern values uh I think he just was a great man now. If you want to turn the page, let's talk about John Havlicek, the basketball player, a guy who played multiple positions at a time when you did not do that, right? There was, we weren't that far away. We were a a generation or so away from the idea of guards only defend and forwards only score. You know, we were at that point in time, like we're not that far from that. Now we're in a switchable, you know, whatever, but like. 40, 45, 50 years ago, to have someone who is versatile and do multiple things, unheard of. John Havlicek
0: was really the first among those. Yeah, Marcus All, Smart before Marcus Smart. I mean, he's Marcus. he's a little bit taller, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, right, but six foot five, a little bit more of a scorer, I guess. You know, obviously, certainly, but, right? All time leading
1: scorer, obviously in Celtics history, which yep. says going a off lot. the bench.
0: How much coming off the bench? Right.
1: The the greatest you could argue the greatest six six man in NBA history right there. I, I think um, that one's a no brainer. I mean, you just right?
0: Don't, yeah, that one's easy.
1: I mean, it, you know, but but he, I think, I think
0: a I, willing I think role Ron player played, who played more than a
1: role. Absolutely, and and got better when couldn't really shoot that well when he first came into the league, and to the point where in the seventies he was the man. I mean, yes, the team had talents and Collins, Collins won MVPs, but he had a he, signature. It is he signature almost shot,
0: you right. know, that crazy leaner. He still a had, leaner.
1: He had a whole yeah. style. Right. Averaged almost 29 points a game one season.
0: 29 points
1: a game. We're about right. I mean, there that kind of watch of, you know, how, the number of guys who've scored that many points in a season is really, really small. So we're going from a guy who was almost a football player for the Cleveland Browns to within seven years, was well, I guess it'd be nine years, was scoring 29 points a game in the NBA admittedly, it's a different time. And I I agree with you. Anytime you get into these history things, people start saying, oh, well, if they put him in today's game, blah, blah. Look, I I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about what the people did against the people they were playing. That's the only way you can adequately do that. And how much better were they than everyone else? And those who were there at the time, and Bob Ryan is as as good a, uh, a person who can weigh this as he was the best player in the NBA. Best player, okay? Better than Wilt, better than Russ, better than Kareem in that period from late 60s to mid 70s John Havlicek not Dr. J not David Thompson not any of those guys John Havlicek Hondo was the best player in the NBA and I think it's just unfortunate the timing is such where he's you know he's in this lost period of NBA history where it just doesn't have the glitz and the glamour and he's never going to get to do that he deserves but uh, Celtics fans appreciated it yeah. clearly from, you know, from that game. As you said, I watched it. I did the same thing as you did. I watched the whole game and, uh, first of all, it's wild to watch the 1978 Boston Celtics. That's, that's a whole, that's a Coward, mind, that's a mind yeah. F right there to see Maxwell and then yet you see Jojo and, and Havlicek now sadly both gone and knowing that you are about 18, well, that year, you're about three months away from drafting Larry Joe Bird, which is a whole nother thing. But, uh, it's, that's a, well, that's a whole other thing for Celtics historians to watch the 78 team because there's not a lot of video of those guys.
0: Yeah. Well, we will, uh, you know, we'll have more of these types of shows, um, because some of the greats getting up there, right? Oh, so it's, it's really sad to think, but, you know these these players that have been around this club for so long mm-hmm. and really in in many cases mentoring I'll, I'm I'm going to end the Hondo conversation on this but when they won banner number 17 and he was holding that trophy and the champagne was flying and uh uh and and even or was that right before they went to the finals yeah, or was that, get, that when they got yeah. in
1: the finals he gave them the, uh, right. the it eastern was right conference. as they were heading in yeah
0: it was eastern yeah. conference that's right i knew i had that wrong but that that image, and and yeah. the number seventeen, and the way that they were buying into my whole spoof, but it, but no, seriously, just the way that all of these greats have been around this club, trying to mentor players, and even during the really difficult years in the nineties, they they never went away. They were always there. That culture was led by this crew, and definitely by John. So. Um, can I just add one quick thing to that though? I, I know you wanted to
1: move on, but I just want to add to that if it's okay, just just to say you're absolutely right. The time we have left with these guys is short. You know, we've got we've got Tommy, we got Coos, we got Russ, we got Sam Jones. Casey right now seems to be uh he's in uh, dealing with dementia. Um you know, the, the time we have with these guys is short, so we need to appreciate them. Appreciate for what they are, what they've done for this franchise, and you know we used to see these guys around a lot more, and you know we'd stopped seeing Hondo around as much, and he, you, a couple times a year you'd see him stop by, and it was great to see Kuz with the book tour and talking about what his relationship with Russ, because you know hey he's still out there, he's doing things, you know we got to appreciate that because it, it's not going to be long, and, and unfortunately we're going to be without those guys, and to pivot from that um you know the article today that came out Adam himmelsbach uh, wrote a great long form article on uh, on Mike Gorman and uh, I mean this is this is Gorman stuff live as any oh, yeah
0: well that's that's where <laughs> that's where I was headed and you know we're 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 basically out of time but um but to your point about Gorman uh, a lot of the things in that article were things that we've talked about. With him, you know, 13 years ago or whatever, what we're in 19. So yeah, 13 years ago, we talked a lot, you know, with the main connection and how he was stationed in Brunswick, but, uh, definitely never heard the story that he doesn't really want to talk about very much before. Uh, we definitely, uh, never had that conversation with Mike. We definitely heard the stories on Celtic stuff live about how he would go to the garden and knock on the door. And he'd run back down the fire escape if it was a security guard, but if it was somebody else, he'd sneak in, you know, uh, a lot of the stories that are in there, but um, as yours, I think your point, and it's not one that needs to be labored, but don't take Mike Gorman for granted. And I'm glad he's going to be around for several more years. I mean, they noted that he's got another year on his contract and, or no, two more years on the contract and, and NBCSN can pick up the third year and, you know, and I think Mike's got a lot left in the tank. He's a real sharp guy, real smooth. You can tell he takes care of himself. And, uh, you know, even when he I mean, the fact that he the one thing I didn't know is about the Xbox. I thought that was really cool. You know, just he's got this kind of, you know, hip way of staying young. And but don't but don't let that don't let his ability to stay young fool you. You know, that you're really appreciating a legend right now who's as, and Adam underplayed this. He made the point, but he underplayed that how smoothly Mike can move when his sidekick changes, you know, and it's Scalabritti and it's Ben Draper and it's, you know, there's been all kinds of that. And it's almost like you just don't skip a beat because he's just such an amazing pro. And so don't, don't take Mike for granted and, and appreciate this time because I honestly just don't know what it's going to be like without hearing his voice, uh, when we watch these games on TV. It's been hard enough with NBA League Pass when I can't hear him.
1: And right now with the national games, we're listening to garbage. I mean, it's just, you do, you, if you don't appreciate him right now, you should be. And that was the, like the tagline at the end there of, of the article where he's like, well, you know, I don't know, you know, I'll have, I don't know how much longer I'll, they'll want me. Mike, we want you. <laughs> Stay. Don't go anywhere. I want Mike Griffin. Yeah, that's to just voice his signature forever. And signature it, it, humility. It, it, signature absolutely. humility. No doubt about it. But Mike, hit me on FIFA. I'm ready to go. I'll, I'll take you down, man. Let's go. <laughs> I'll give you my gamer tag. Email me, Mike.
0: He would appreciate that. He, would I'm appreciate sure he would. That. He'd probably like to play. Yeah. all right everybody that's gonna do it for this week's show the broadcast will be available on demand on the clns media mobile app and don't forget to follow us on twitter at csl underscore justin and at csl underscore duke a heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in and remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to celtic stuff live on itunes and stitcher we'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show and for staff writer samuel lias executive producer larry h russell the founder of clns media nick gelso and my co-host john duke i'm justin poolen Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live.
1: Celtic Stuff Live.
0: Did you want to say uh, Sammy Elias? No, say, uh, Sammy, I, I, hey.
1: no, no. no. I'll, I'll save it for the outtakes. We're in the outtakes. So three and four. Sammy. So listen, like here we are games three, game four. I'll, Green you go dollars. first. You go first.
0: Well, we could do games three and four, but I also wanted. You know, I kind of felt like the the Raptors tying up. I mean, Philly tying up the series against the Raptors, but winning yeah. game two. But winning game two. Not you know, great. then they got to <laughs> win two more in Philly. But you know, our whole we're we gonna check in with our master plan, right? So, you know, my prediction for you know this second round series a little off, but our prediction for the postseason was we can beat Milwaukee and we need to dodge Toronto. If we can, if so we can. Philly Philly takes Game Two. Do you feel like they can win three in a row, or do you think they're going to have to no. win another one on the road? All right, yeah, but but I'm not. See, I don't worry
1: about that. I I don't think they can, but I'm not going to worry about that. I'm willing to take that one game at a time. Yep. Okay. I, I, I just would if, if the longer they push that out, if they can get it up to six or seven, I'm happy because honestly, I think Milwaukee. I mean, excuse me, I think Toronto is a lot better than Philly. I have no respect for yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah, I know.
0: I know. I know. All right, so we have games three and four. So you're you're going to take it one game at a time, and, and you're not so sure that I don't think there's any way Philly can win three in a row uh, against Toronto for everything that you just said. So I think there's still a split, and they're definitely a game seven on the road if they win. But I'd like to see them win three in a row because if they do, then we're in great shape. The Celtics, on the other hand, don't have to win three in a row. I think they take both at home. I, I really do. I think they take both at home. I don't even think, I don't even think you, you think twice about it, but that, that means if I think that they're going to take those two, that's three wins. So for this to go seven, as I predicted, they're going to have to lose game six. So odds are in your favor, buddy. Odds are in your favor. I think they take two in Boston and then maybe they do get it at home game six in front of just a jam packed electric crowd that's been waiting so many long months for something to actually get excited about and enjoy. And as much as the round one sweep was encouraging, you know, being able to take Milwaukee in six would be the, the, the turn that gains everybody's confidence that wait a second, uh, they really could take this into the finals and walk away with the trophy this year. I mean, that it's possible. Well, the parallel,
1: the 2010 parallels too, just go nuts because let's remember. So the Celtics, again, crappy for regular season. They play the number one ranked Cleveland Cavaliers in that round two series. Nobody gave them a chance. Celtics didn't deserve to be on the floor with LeBron James and they, and they swept them out. They pushed LeBron out the door and, you know, the rest is history. That, The, the, the parallels are crazy with 2010 and 2019. And that's, and I know you're willing to go with six games because you'd rather just see it move on.
0: Personal. No, uh, no, I I think I go with six games because if they win two at home, you know, (laughs) they've just got such a commanding lead. I mean, they'll have a three one lead. No, what I'm saying is you're more excited about
1: winning than about whether it's six or seven.
0: But that's what I am more, yeah, yeah. more excited. Yeah, 100%. More excited. I'm just <laughs> miss winning, dude. Like this team is supposed to be winning all season long. I've been starved. I'm, I'm the starved. I'm the voice of the fan right now. Like Feed come me. on. Let's Feed just me. see some dominance, right? I want to see foot on the gas. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. Like that's it. what I want to see. I get it. We all wanted that. We wanted we that do. right out of the gate. And they came out on the line like they couldn't even, you know, they were trying, they were trying to start the card fifth gear, you know, off the line. It's <laughs> not working. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, no, I, I think you're right. I think they win both games back at home. They win three and four. They lose five. They win six. Boop. Done. Bring on Toronto. That's, what, that's what I think is going to happen. I think Kyrie. Is going to go supernova in the next two games. I think game it's four actually really encouraging that he had a crappy game too. Absolutely,
0: it's I think he's going to go. He's going. I think.
1: I think they're going to win by ten in game three, and I think game four. Game four is going to be the game that's going to be the pivotal game in this series because I think game four is going to be the one. Yeah, that's when
0: Milwaukee either fights back mm-hmm. to push it to seven or they basically rolled over. They have to understand how critical game four is. Totally. That's
1: exactly right. If they don't get that game, it's, it's over. So that's going to be a slight. But your
0: step. prediction was that they do lose that game, right? And then yep. they take five on I the road say. and yep. six at home. So that's yep. pretty crazy, dude.
1: Yeah. I hope that's. I think it's happen. more likely they win three and four than yep. they win five. I, I think they lose five and up there and then They're come back home. are going to win two
0: anyway. in a row. It's the next two.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think, All right. I think the way that game two lined up really sets it up well for, for three, four. That's a win. Go Celtics. And they're going to make it happen. Boom. Mic drop.